This is the podcast of the Nova Center on Business, Human Rights and the Environment. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast on business, human rights, and the environment. My name is Anna, and I have with me Elise, and we are both research assistants at the Nova Center on Business, Human Rights, and the Environment. Today, we have the pleasure of doing this episode with two business and human rights specialists who work together for the organization Business for Social Responsibility. Celine de Grasse Pirch and Roberta Piramonte are consultants for companies in the renewable energy sector in Europe, which is why in this episode we will talk about renewable energies and human rights. But what is exactly renewable energies? Renewable energies, also called clean energies, come from natural resources or processes that are constantly replenished, like solar energy. Uh, why are renewables so important for South European-based companies? Well, European countries had to invest in renewable energies because of the goals set by the European Union, especially the Renewable Energy Directive. For example, Portugal was one of them, and in 2017, in cooperation with the European Union members, Portugal was the fifth country with the greater incorporation of renewable energies in the production of electricity. The market of renewables in South Europe keeps growing and attracting investment, which can be explained by the fact that Europe has countries like Italy that consume a lot of energy and are trying to invest in renewables so in the long term it can become cheaper for its population. Moreover, wind energy segment is expected to dominate the market as wind farms have been built across South Europe. In Europe, there is also new technologies and materials, like the latest research going on the perovskites, are expected to increase the efficiency of the solar cells, which is likely to act as an opportunity for the market players. We are also going to talk about Just Transition, which is a framework developed by the trade union movement in order to secure workers' rights and livelihoods when economies are shifting to a sustainable production. But can you explain a little bit more, Roberta? Why are stakeholders increasing pushing companies to play a key role in the Just Energy Transition through the deployment of renewable energy technologies that does not negatively impact on human rights? Uh, sure. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And uh, well, about uh, just transition in particular, so it's a concept that uh, was developed, as you said, recently, uh, thanks to uh, the efforts uh, from the trade unions and some international organizations too that are working on this concept. So just transition does not only apply to renewable energy companies. Uh, it applies to a wide range of companies that are actually transitioning. Uh, it can also include, uh, I don't know, car manufacturers because they are transitioning to electricity cars, uh, but also other, you know, the traditional uh, fossil fuel companies uh, that have been uh, operating with the uh, old, let's say, not necessarily climate friendly models uh, of extraction of, of fuels to run uh, our, to power our, our economies. Um, so, what the the role of renewable energies in just transition is in a way it's a player in this general 
uh, expectation around moving to uh, a cleaner energy system uh, that is considerate of uh, the livelihood and the actual sustainability of, of work, of the communities that were used to work in the uh, old model, so for coal extraction, as an example, or for other type of uh, businesses that uh, were involved in the fuel, let's say, model, uh, fuel-based model, uh, to make sure that uh, they are equipped with the skills and expertise to, you know, be able to move to the clean jobs and to thrive in this new uh, environment. So that is, uh, in a nutshell, uh, the traditional concept of just transition. Now, of course, we can make many linkages from just transition to human rights, labor rights, and, and all these elements that are kind of intrinsically linked with the concept of just transition. So not only uh, it helps people not losing their jobs, but also makes them expertise uh, in this field of renewable energies, right? Yeah, so the, the clear opportunity there is for the public sector, private sector to invest in uh, the clean workforce yes. to make sure that they are able to adapt to the old world or the old model uh, of fuel-based economy uh, to uh, a new model where they can work and they are equipped to work uh, in, in, the new, in the new green green and clean economy. Uh, that's one piece of that picture, of course. Um, and you can add many layers to that. You can add the contribution of gender. So how does this relate to opportunities that you can give to women to work in a clean uh, energy economy? Um, and you can link that with supply chains. You can link that with, uh, you know, the human rights concepts in general uh, that are related to, you know, energy and renewable energy and the transition, uh, the energy transition in general. In this train of thought, can you tell us a bit more about BSR and BSR's experience with the renewable energy sector? Uh, so, uh, I mean, BSR is a global organization. We work with a lot of different industries uh, and in different sectors. But one of the sectors that we are particularly interested to work with and also have been uh, working with is, uh, uh, you know, energy and renewable energy companies. Um, also always in this light of ensuring that we make the connection with uh, climate goals. So pushing for these companies to, you know, move in the energy towards the energy transition. And with renewable energy companies in particular, because where they are key actors and key contributors to, uh, to the achievement of climate goals. Uh, and um, and in general, to be able to um, navigate and understand what are the expectations for different stakeholders uh, towards renewable energy companies themselves, because you know the more the more uh, they will be active 
uh, the more they will be involved and the more stakeholders will, uh, you know, have attention on these companies, as well as uh, expectations for uh, the business conduct of these companies in general. So um, we, we work with renewable energy companies in different aspects. Um, looking at what we're talking today now, like human rights, uh, but also looking at how they can contribute to their clients uh, to meet their climate goals. So BSR, for instance, is a, an organization that is part of a bigger network that is called RIBA, R-E-B-A, a Renewable Energy Bias Alliance, where bigger, big multinationals and companies that are involved into procuring energy for their needs to produce, to uh, run their data centers, to, you know, whatever electricity needs every company has to run their business, uh, to move to clean, um, clean sourcing. Of, of those of the of that electricity so renewable energy actors are of course involved there uh, and that's also how we touch base on uh, with with these companies Celine can you now tell us uh, what are the opportunities for growth in the field of human rights for renewable uh, companies operating in Portugal yeah sure um, thank you so much for the invitation again I'm very happy to be here with my dear colleague uh, Roberta. Um, so looking at Portugal, uh, we see that there are opportunities for growth in the field of human rights and the environment, not only for renewable companies, actually, but for all companies uh, of all sectors. Um, so to provide a bit of context uh, in the business and human rights field, the Portuguese government is yet to release its first national action plan on business and human rights, which has been in the drafting stage for a number of years. Um, and... Um, has highlighted in a recent webinar organized by the Nova Law School, um, there is no, currently, no global legislative framework in Portugal on business and human rights. There are a number of instruments covering certain specific human rights topics like gender equality, prevention of uh, harassment at the workplace, but no legislation at national level regulating business and human rights in Portugal compared to what we have in France, for example, or in a drafting stage in other European countries. That's for the, the legal context in Portugal regarding business and human rights. Um, so considering this legal non-existing context in the field of business and human rights, there is a huge opportunity for renewable companies to operating in Portugal to lead by example when it comes to respecting human rights and the environment. From a human rights perspective, the renewable energy movement is welcome because it contributes to clean transition that Roberta just described. And renewables projects um, serve as the front line of mitigation against climate change. So renewable energy companies have a great advantage in comparison with other companies because they are green by nature. Uh, by helping to slow the effects of climate change, um, which negatively impacts right to health, uh, access to clean water, sanitation, et cetera, particularly for vulnerable groups, renewable energy companies are, I will say, predisposed to contribute to human rights and environment protection globally. So 
as mentioned by Hannah and Alice in the introduction, uh, we, we expect um, a clear growth of renewable uh, energies projects in Portugal, which is currently dominating by hydro, uh, hydropower uh, projects in Portugal. And we expect strong wine and solar growth in the country until 2050 uh, to achieve Portuguese engagement for carbon neutrality um, by 2050. So what this means for renewable companies how they can um, achieve respect for human rights and what is the, the opportunities for advancing the human rights journey. Um, the renewables boom we are witnessing in the last few years um, lead to human rights and environmental implication. Even if most renewables companies operating in Portugal are complying with high regulatory environmental standards, there is still room for improvement, both in the field of human rights and the environment. Renewable energy growth needs to marry closely with protection of biodiversity and a clear social and environmental management agenda, particularly um, in rural areas in certain of Europe, like Portugal, where impacts of the renewable projects in availability of lands for agriculture, for instance, or decrease of wild species, noise pollution uh, has been highlighted uh, in the recent years. So the, for, if we see the results um, of the last renewable energy and human rights benchmark, uh, launched by Business and Human Rights Watch Resource Center last year, we see that there is a lot of work to be done, a lot of opportunity, room for improvement for renewable companies uh, to advance their human rights journey. Um, if we take EDP, for example, Electricidad Portugal, um, the, the, the company scored 24% out of 100%. So that shows that even the world, one of the world biggest Portuguese renewable energy company can improve uh, is performance in, uh, in, the, in human rights and environmental uh, due diligence. And actually, uh, they, those companies, Portuguese companies and foreign companies operating in Portugal will need in the coming years to align with the requirement of the upcoming EU directive on corporate due diligence and corporate accountability. So advancing human rights, environmental journey it's now um, a necessity uh, for a Portuguese company and the foreign company operating in a renewable sector in Portugal. So basically the directive will help these companies in Portugal to actually grow quickly in the area of en uh, renewable energies because they don't have any other choice, right? <laughs> basically. Right. The, the fact is at BSR, we push company to go behind compliance and that's the and to align with the UN guiding principles, um, business and human rights. The, the upcoming directive actually is welcome because it's bring, you know, um, a level, uh, play, you know, a, a playing level field um, and harmonize what is required by companies to achieve respect for human rights and the environments. So that is really welcome. And it push, of course, companies to go faster and more uh, efficiently to meet the deadline. So if we take this directive 
which we are still waiting for the European Commission proposal, hopefully to be launched uh, in June or July this year. But the fact is this upcoming directive will lead to multiple efforts by companies to comply with the directive and also to lead by example because they, they, they can, you know, take human rights, environmental respect, protection as a competitive advantage in a very competitive market in Portugal and certainly in Europe in general. But one thing just to contextualize because uh, it, it, it could seem like weird that we bring together environment and wildlife uh, when we talk about human rights. Um, I mean, it, it's not like, it's not really weird um, because, um, you know, when we should never look at these issues in total silo uh, as they are completely separated, uh, you know, one between each other. If you think about, well, I mean, you, we have it under our eyes, you know, the COVID situation that is now impacting the entire world. It all started from, uh, you know, environmental issues because of uh, treatment of or uh, rather, um, you know, inappropriate use, let me say, of wildlife in, 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 in the wrong contexts. And, and that's what is considered to be what caused the whole COVID, COVID situation. So, uh, you know, it's just trying to see how these issues are intertwined. And that is why companies are also required to look into these issues, uh, you know, consistently because they are actually very interrelated and uh, you know even if we don't see necessarily the clear linkages direct linkages now they may come in the future so it's very important to have that in mind um, and not treat necessarily treat these issues under two different separate silos because they are very relevant and they're very and they're very uh, important for you know the world in general. Yeah, and it's actually what the upcoming directive uh, required company to do, uh, to take, you know, to carry out human rights diligence alongside environmental and good governance due diligence. Uh, so, because environmental impacts can, le can lead to human rights abuses, what the upcoming directive is requiring Portuguese companies European companies in general to do is to carry out due diligence with respect to human rights, environmental, government risk in their operation, business relationship, and across the value chain. Because environmental impacts, again, can lead to human rights violation, mostly impacting uh, local communities and inside these communities, vulnerable groups. It's great that we have this new directive actually uh, connecting the environment with human rights, because what we actually have been studying and seeing in that is that in most case laws involving companies, they actually separate the claims uh, against uh, the company because of the environmental problems that they cause and the human rights. And they actually most of the times are connected. So it's great that we have a, a directive that is actually uh, taking a step forward and explaining that this, this is connected in environment with uh, human rights. Uh, what I would like to ask Roberta is how uh, can renewable energy companies affect human rights? Okay. First of all, let me start saying that it, 
it's very variable depending on the context of operation. So, and that's something that, uh, you know, I would probably take shortcuts <laughs> uh, in describing some of the potential impacts. It may be relevant to the Portuguese context or not, because, um, you know, the type of human rights risks that renewable energy may face vary depending on uh, where where in the value chain we are talking about these uh, these impacts may happen. So it's operational level. Is it about downstream? Is it about upstream in supply chains? Um, or um, in addition to, to the value chain, you can also have a geographical lens. So depending on where the actual operation is, uh, built, uh, the project is built, uh, you know, there could be higher or lower risk related to specific uh, issues like labor rights typically are very dependent on the local legislation and the implementation of the local legislation, the rule of law, and it's uh, local standards, let's say. So that's, you know, just a preamble <laughs> to contextualize um, what I'm going to say. Um, so then the other big thing to highlight is that um, uh, there is a the type of issues, uh, human rights issues that you can encounter when, you know, working on renewables uh, can be very specific to the, the operation. So basically, it's we're talking about infrastructure, so infrastructure-related risks and are inherent to renewable energy operations, even if, if renewable energy is maybe smaller than other infrastructure projects, but they're still very relevant. Like a typical example, occupational health and safety. So this is what we consider as well, of course, a human rights risk because it impacts directly the health of people and health of workers, workers, employees, or contractors that are operating at the sites uh, of renewable energy uh, companies. But uh, it's it's very linked with the right to health of people. So uh, again, the other thing to keep in mind, not taking this, these things in silo because occupational health and safety is very much a human rights issue. Um, other very specific to the operations, uh, very, uh, issues to the operations are, um, you know, interesting to any infrastructure project, like uh, uh, what about emergency preparedness if, uh, I don't know, a, an earthquake or uh, whatever a natural disaster may happen close to the infrastructure and what could be the potential impact and what are the measures that uh, the company has put in place to ensure that those potential risks may be mitigated or, uh, you know, potentially avoided <laughs> as well. Other things uh, are specific to the context of operation. Um, risks related to land rights uh, that are linked with indigenous communities, uh, for instance, and free prior and informed consent are very specific to the context where, you know, renewable energy companies are operating in close proximity of indigenous communities uh, and need to consider uh, the uh, rights of these indigenous communities, their uh, rights to land, uh, even if the right to land is not necessarily 
written <laughs> in a piece of paper uh, and and their uh, and their livelihood and and their cultural heritage heritage so again it, it's very variable depending on on where companies operate and that's actually the type of things that we normally look at when we work with renewable energy companies and any other company uh, when we conduct assessment on human rights risks is really like uh, taking this deeper look into the local context. Uh, if we conduct an assessment on a specific asset, on a specific project, uh, say a wind farm, for instance, we would look at where the wind farm is, is to be built, if it's in development uh, process, and what are the contextual risks that, you know, influence uh, the uh, human rights risks that a company may face. So these are just couple of examples um, for uh, related to those those type of risks. I don't know if you need more than that, but um, we could we could talk <laughs> a lot a lot about a lot about you know freedom of association again depending on how how trade unions are present or not uh, are they um, sometimes in certain uh, legal context not not really um, let me use an euphemism, not really incentivized, <laughs> or, or other types of issues that are, um, you know, also related to uh, basic local communities, not necessarily indigenous people livelihood because of, you know, I don't know, the noise of the, uh, the noise of the wind blades. Uh, and I'm, I don't know why I'm keeping doing examples with, uh, with wind, but, you know, solar could be, <laughs> could be, uh, could be used as an example too. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, because I mentioned the value chain as well, there is increasing uh, pressure and interest on, uh, from stakeholders on what is uh, what we call the um, transition minerals uh, that are very far away in the upstream supply chains of renewable energy companies. And when I say renewable energy companies, I also mean utilities that invest in renewables and all companies that invest in renewables. So not only like the typical renewable energy developers, just the, the company doing only renewables, but looking at um, the um, transition minerals, meaning understanding where those minerals uh, are uh, extracted, uh, what are the risks related to the extraction, and, and trying to engage with uh, industry partners or other actors uh, that are working with extractive companies to be aware of the risks and to potentially mitigate the risk through, I don't know, different choices in purchasing uh, when it's possible in purchasing one or the other technology that use one raw material versus another, or you name it. In segment of what Roberta just said, in your opinion, Celine, what criteria could a renewable company use to identify communities that may be affected by renewable energy projects it is involved in? Well, uh, first of all, I'm going back to what we mentioned about the upcoming EU directive. Um, what is required is effective, meaningful stakeholder engagement while conducting human rights due diligence. So effective human rights due diligence for renewable companies need to be grounded in stakeholder engagement, especially with uh, the most vulnerable groups. So there is a few steps 
to take to identify who are the communities that may be affected by renewable energy projects in order to be able to conduct meaningful, effective stakeholder engagement and community engagement processes at local level, at project level. So first step would be, I would say, understanding the operating context. Because in practice, what we see is that some renewable project development in south of Portugal, for example, certain uh, of Europe in general, um, are frequently based on a not so complete understanding of the specificities of the local context. So the first step for renewable companies operating in Portugal, but in certain Europe in general, would be to better understand the specificity of the local context, map all potential communities that may be impacted by the project, from towns to more rural communities, uh, small villages in, in, in Portuguese mountains, for example, really capture uh, cultural specificities and socioeconomic uh, particularities, vulnerabilities for each communities to better understand potential impacts, human rights impact, environmental impacts at local level. Portugal is a small country, but has a rich cultural diversity across the country. So local communities in some region of Portugal are not is not the same uh, compared to another region of Portugal. So really capturing the local context, cultural specificities for renewable companies operating in Portugal is key. Second step would be to identify vulnerable groups inside uh, local communities. So there is no commonly internationally accepted definition of what is considered vulnerable groups, but we have uh, common uh, categories of vulnerable groups, women, children, migrants, uh, disabled people, elders. Uh, so there are different local communities uh, across the region, across Southern Europe, again, with specificities cultural specificities, particular vulnerabilities, and inside those communities, the important point for companies to conduct, again, effective stakeholder engagement is to identify who are the vulnerable groups inside the communities after capturing the specificity. If I take a coastal communities, for example, in south of Portugal, the idea here is to capture the specific livelihood of the community, the, the, the particular vulnerability they are facing um, related to climate change, negative effects uh, impacting um, local communities, fisher communities in south of Portugal. Once understanding the local context of these coastal communities, look inside the communities, who are the women? What is the livelihood? What is the basic needs of those women inside the communities of fishers? Who are the children would maybe impact this? Elders people, which are uh, quite present in, in Portugal culture and across the country, uh, who are uh, the most vulnerable that are facing exacerbated impacts on their human rights. So that's the second point. Um, why is it important to capture and identify who are the vulnerable groups inside the local communities? While doing so, renewable companies may be able to tailor the different channels of dialogue 
to conduct meaningful community engagement, make those channels of dialogue accessible in their own languages. We have regional languages in Portugal that may be considered to engage dialogue with local communities. There are cultural, again, specificities across the countries, and it's important to better understand this cultural specificity to be able to engage in um, a responsible and respectful way with these local communities and the vulnerable groups that may be affected inside the communities. So at BSR, we developed a vulnerable groups framework approach to um, better support our members to identify inside the communities who can be the vulnerable people to engage with. We um, look at um, social discrimination, formal discrimination, hidden groups, and practical discrimination. What does it mean? We look at potential people facing discrimination based on their large circumstances inside the communities. Some people may speak, again, ethnic dialect, regional dialect, maybe uh, living in more remote areas. I mentioned the mountains in north of Portugal. Um, but it's also about capturing um, some vulnerable groups that may face uh, treats because they need to hide their identity or cannot be vocal uh, about their rights. At the case of the LGBTQ uh, communities, illegal migrants of, of Portugal, undocumented worker uh, also uh, in the Algarve region in south of Portugal. And we are also looking uh, in this vulnerable groups approach at those vulnerable groups that may face discrimination due to cultural or societal practices um, and, um, and minority discrimination uh, inside the country. So we look, of course, at women, girls, but also religious minorities, uh, single mothers, for example, and um, speaking more broadly outside Portugal, we look at indigenous people, of course, and other uh, ethnic groups that may face discrimination uh, inside the country. So we, we really use this vulnerable groups approach framework to support the identification of vulnerable groups. We need tailored and accessible channels dialogue for companies, renewable companies in this context, to conduct meaningful community engagement processes. That's for the, the two key takeaways while identifying communities that may be affected by renewable energy projects in Portugal and outside Portugal. Thank you. I would like to ask my last uh, questions to Roberta. So uh, having all this information now, what are the opportunities for positive impact for renewable companies and how can these companies actively contribute to a fair energy transition, in your opinion? Uh, so maybe just to bridge what Celine just said around, um, you know, community engagement. So community engagement is not just an exercise that companies do just to do engage <laughs> or 
the, the real objective of community engagement is to understand the needs of local communities and uh, be able to respond to the needs of local communities and to build their social license to operate, what is called in general terms social license to operate. That is sometimes as a specific context that, he, that is used in the specifically in the extractive industry, but also it can be applied to any infrastructure project, uh, including renewable energy companies. Um, so um, the, the the idea here is to really understand the needs and be able to identify responses, you know, not only mitigating risk, but also identify uh, responses and uh, potential ways that the companies can contribute to the uh, growth, the, the social, uh, the social um, context of, of the local communities. So in this way, when we talk about opportunities, for instance, what we mean is like going beyond uh, that risk mitigation, risk evaluation and risk mitigation, and try to understand how company ca companies can positively contribute to um, the the uh, enjoyment of, of human rights. So if I have to think about uh, three <laughs> opportunities uh, that a renewable energies, a renewable energy companies have uh, in this context, you know, what and depending on the local context where they operate, um, one of the big opportunities is providing access to energy. So certain countries in the world um, are uh, do lack and, and certain communities, especially in the most remote areas, do lack access to electricity. Now, electricity, we keep it for granted that we have it in our homes, but uh, not everywhere in the world. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, a guarantee. Uh, and if you think about electricity, I mean, it's, it's very important for many different things. Uh, sanitation, for uh, refrigerating food, you know, for, for so many things. And, and renewable energy companies in certain contexts, when they understand that there is this need in the local communities, like local communities in very remote areas do not have access to the normal grid or electricity in general. So that's how uh, renewable energy companies can contribute to the local communities in the first place, like providing that access to electricity. Well, other other you know aspects in terms of opportunities that to be honest this is applicable everywhere um, you know when and for every infrastructure project too when this type of project go to specific places uh, they bring job opportunities they bring uh, uh, access they, they, they can potentially uh, support access to local technical education related to electricity so they have the opportunity to uh, contribute to the growth of the local communities through jobs and through uh, education, for instance. And then finally, we haven't really, I mean, we have lightly touched on that when we talked about uh, vulnerable groups, but one of the emerging concepts that we are also increasingly working on at BSR is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how can renewable energy companies with their presence in local communities support, uh, you know, this inclusion of the most vulnerable groups uh, and the ones that are most excluded, whether it is about thinking about providing, I don't know, job opportunities for disabled or uh, job opportunities for 
women, uh, you know, that, that thing that I mentioned about how, how can we build uh, in the just transition movement, uh, you know, more job opportunities for women to work in the clean, in the clean energy economy. Uh, so just these are the three that are on top of my head, but, uh, you know, again, community engagement and uh, these deep diving into understanding the local context and the local needs, you know, can give, you know, uh, to the companies that operate renewable energy projects, this understanding of what, how can they contribute to their, uh, you know, more enjoyment of human rights. Thank you so much, Roberta, first of all. And I think Celine wanted to add something. Um, yes, maybe just uh, a, a quick word. We, we talk um, a lot about, you know, human rights risks, environmental risk, um, but um, I guess the question renewable companies may have now is uh, what does effective due diligence required by the upcoming directive look like? And what are you know, the key action uh, to take to identify, prevent, assess, and remedy uh, human rights uh, adverse impacts and environmental adverse impacts. Um, so just on that, um, I would say that you know, the key elements for human rights diligence in line with the directive, but mostly in line with the UN guiding principles are um, assessing actual and potential impacts uh, by conducting human rights impact assessment. Uh, so at corporate level, but also at site level, uh, integrating and acting um, upon the findings of those assessments, tracking performance, and finally, know and show, which means communicate how renewable companies are actually addressing actual and potential impact identified uh, in their value chain. So the good news is that those actions uh, can be taken so at corporate level, at project level, and uh, maybe we could share like three steps uh, to, to prevent, mitigate, and remedy human rights and environmental risk um, in line with the UNGPs. Um, so I will say that at corporate level, um, renewable companies, you know, can show that they are respecting human rights by developing a human rights policy statement, uh, articulate this statement with a clear human rights strategy, um, ensuring that you know, they are showing their respect for human rights and environmental protection in their own operation and also in the supply chain. And also establishing you know, human rights government structures at operational and corporate level that can leverage uh, overseas uh, existing policies and human rights processes. And on the prevention on human rights impact, what we can add about human rights impact assessment, and we have a strong experience of conducting, uh, I guess Roberta has conducting uh, a lot of human rights impact assessments at you know, both level, corporate-wide human rights impact assessment, site level human rights impact assessment, the objectives through human rights impact assessment for renewable companies is really identifying any actual, but also potential 
uh, adverse human rights impacts, environmental impacts that may uh, exist or arise in their supply chain and across the value chain in general, but from a right order perspective. This is where community engagement mentioned by Roberta is so important because strong human rights due diligence is grounded in stakeholder engagement, in strong uh, and fair, effective, uh, accessible community engagement process. So conducting human rights impact assessment at site or at corporate level would be the second step to identify and prevent um, actual and potential human rights risk and environmental risks leading to uh, human rights abuses. And finally, the third step we can suggest um, to take action uh, and be prepared for the EU mandatory human rights and due diligence directive is to ensure access to remedy. Um, so when renewables companies identify through human rights impact process, through internal audits that they are causing, contributing to adverse impact, they should take action to provide a remedy, cooperate with local communities that may be impacted to um, build a common agreed remedy solution that take into consideration what we mentioned before, specific vulnerability, local community needs, and also local community challenges at local level. So that would be, you know, the first steps to take action uh, to mitigate, prevent, mitigate, and remediate human rights for renewable companies and at BSR, we will be happy to support. One quick precision. I mean, we talk about community engagement. They are not the only rights holders in the game. I mean, also labor, you know, employees, contractors, you know, it's it's not just about communities and rights of communities. It's also about labor rights of employees and contractors and whoever is involved working with renewable energy. Just wanted to add that because we talk about our communities but let's not forget <laughs> the other big stakeholder yeah. here yeah internal stakeholder external stakeholders yeah. uh, local communities you know they are all right holders uh taking part in the stakeholder engagement process well celine and roberta thank you so much for this episode i think this is a very interesting topic and a very important topic to address now and uh, I want to invite everyone to follow our work on the Novus Center on Business, Human Rights and the Environment. You can check our LinkedIn, our website and our newsletter and also to follow the work of Celine and Roberta in their organization. Um, so stay tuned for the next episode and thank you so much everyone and see you on the next episode.